So I think it's been a wonderful study. We actually started last fall, about last October, and uh, just in the midst of COVID and other things going on, uh, and just taking our time going through it, through it, we're going to actually finish tonight. I'm, I'm very personally, I've been very blessed by this series and just uh, just the real focus on Christ being everything and dying to ourselves and letting letting the Lord Jesus live through us. And that's really what the, this study on the cross is all about. If you would open with me in your Bibles to First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and read with me, we'll start in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. There's a reason for it being that way. There's a reason for God choosing the foolish and after the flesh, those that are foolish, uh, not many mighty after the flesh. God has purposely done that. And He tells us right here why it is. The reason is that no flesh should glory in His presence. When... When a, a, a David kills Goliath, you know, there's no flesh that can glory in his presence. It's God had to give that man the ability, and that had to be of God. When an old man Moses stretches out his rod over a sea and it parts, and a people walk through on dry land and their enemy is destroyed behind them, no flesh can take credit for that. That is the way God has chosen it to be. And so we're talking about the cross, the cross in the life of the believer, the cross of Jesus, the, one, the cross that He died upon when He purchased our redemption is still to be at work in our lives today. It is still to be uh, in the work of sanctification, not for salvation. We first have to be saved. I was talking to the boys at the Bible study today and saying the ABCs, I said, somebody stand up and there's one of the kids that's uh, going to a good... Uh, got a scholarship to play baseball at a good school. And I said, uh, give me some, some uh, fundamentals on hitting. He pops up and he stands there. And you gotta, he says, you've got to have a good foundation. You've got to have a good base. And, you know, and, and he starts going through just a couple little things. I said, okay, well, the foundations of Christianity, you have to be born again. You must be born again. There's no other way. You don't just kind of drift into this thing over time. There's a specific time where you say, I do, just like a wedding, when you say, I'm giving my life to you and you're giving your life to me and we write the date down. Just like on a birth certificate, there's a specific date when somebody was born into this world, a specific time, a specific place, and you must be born again. And so, first of all, we have to be born again, but still... After that, we don't put the cross on the shelf and it's nothing but a memory now. The cross is spoken of. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And there's a bearing the cross of the Lord, not like we're dying for our sins or paying the Lord back somewhere. Not something perverted to where we beat ourselves on the back till blood comes out and say, look how I'm suffering for the Lord. Or I'm adding to the sufferings of God. Or I'm going to deprive myself of warmth or shelter or food. 
as though somehow that's going to help God out. He didn't need any help. His own right arm got him the victory. Amen? He purchased our redemption with His own blood. And He doesn't need our help, doesn't want our help. That's an offense to God to think that we have anything but filthy rags to offer the Lord in the first place. But that we're not done with the cross. The cross has to do simply with identifying with Christ. Christ came with humble beginnings and everything about His life He was spat upon. Isaiah 53, in a nutshell. Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and so forth. As, as a sheep is dumb before His shearers, He opened not His mouth. He was taken from judgment and so forth. And He didn't... He didn't anything... There's nothing in that. No beauty that we should just esteem Him in a natural beauty sense. And yet, that's God incarnate. That's God incarnate. And dying to ourselves and letting the Lord live through us. Dying to ourselves and not trying to make a show in the flesh. We just read it. God has chosen it, this, it to be this way that no flesh should glory in His presence. And so, that's how He's... It's, again, we don't take the cross now and set it on the shelf and it's just part of our doctrinal statement nor is the baptism of the Holy Spirit just part of our doctrinal statement. We're to be not drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit daily. And so, uh, here we see that, that God has uh, chosen it to be this way, and we need to remember that. And we stay, on, we stay identified with Christ in His death so that His life can be fully manifested through us. That He can live through us. There's not room for two on, the, on our hearts. In, the, in our hearts, there's room for the Lord. And if we try to crowd Him out, then there's something in me that shouldn't be there. There's something in me that needs to die. If He's my Lord, He needs to be my Lord. If He is controlling and ruling, then I need to allow Him to control and rule. We talk about this all the time. It takes our cooperation. The Bible teaches that. It takes our surrender. It takes our our uh, yielding to the Lord. It takes us surrendering our will over to the will of another. And that doesn't always come easily. Amen? It doesn't always come easily, but it does come by the working of the Lord. And so, uh, just a reminder, from, from last week we ended, and I want to kind of just restate it as we're, we're going tonight. We talked about the early church in the book of Acts. And some of the reasons or the reason they were so uh, successful. We read the Scripture that these have turned the world upside down, right? That was, that was the comment of an unbeliever saying that these riffraff, whatever they thought they were, had literally turned the world upside down with the Gospel. And that Christ working with them with signs and wonders following. People were being saved. People were being saved. Lives were being transformed. Lame men were walking and leaping for joy. 5,000 saved on one occasion. 3,000 saved on another occasion. Just in a matter of days. This was like an explosive power. Why were they so effective? They didn't have the sound equipment we have. They didn't have any of the stuff that we had. But they had the Holy Spirit. And they had a love for the Lord and a faith in God that He was real that He was with them. That when they opened their mouths and spoke the Gospel, they weren't just trying it to see if it would work. They were out there serving the Lord. I want to just read a few quotes from the book. They had ceased to save their own skin. Now what is that? that that's 
Our life is not dear to us anymore other than Christ's purposes for my life. My own life is not dear to me anymore. They had ceased to save their own skin. They had no mere cause to defend. Christ was the living head of the church. He had died in uttermost weakness. They had died with him. There's the cross in the life of the believer. Not only for their salvation, but after they were saved. Be the consequences what they may, be what they may, they would obey God rather than men. How do we know that? Because we see it. That's actually what they did. That's actually what they said. They were threatened and beat and threatened and beat and threatened and beat and thrown in prison. And, and the angel lets them out and he goes, go back and preach all the words of this life. They were just arrested in the temple thrown in the prison and told not to preach, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and says, go back in that temple and preach all the words of this life. Well, if they were trying to save their own skins, they would try to come up with a gospel plan B. Or they would either just leave the whole thing or they'd say, we've we got we to gotta change this thing right now. This is, this is not going to work. But it did work. It worked because the vessels didn't love their lives unto death. That's why it worked. The gospel works. Jesus saves. He's still saving people. Jesus still heals people. He still opens blinded eyes. He still heals, uh, heals marriages that you say there's no way. He still heals relationships. He still uh, moves mountains. He still does it. He works. And the Gospel works. Amen? He's trying to show Himself through vessels that are fully yielded to Him that no flesh should glory in His presence. This is why the early church was so... Uh, successful if you want to call it that they put themselves at heaven's disposal and when they preached Christ Jesus as Lord men were cut to the heart as the word of the cross fell like a two-edged sword amen it came upon their lives when they preached there doesn't mean that everybody that they preached to was saved they certainly were not but many were and many more than probably what we see in our day and I'm including myself in that because there was a total abandonment to the Lord. Totally abandoned over. If He wants to take my possessions, if He sees fit for me to be in prison, if He sees fit for me to die right here in the street like Stephen did, took him outside of town and started stoning him, whatever the Lord sees fit, nothing will stop me from faithfully serving the Lord. I'm going to fulfill this commission of God upon my life. And so, the early church is such a great example of that. We're living in a generation, and I don't think it's only our generation, but it is, includes our generation, that glories in the flesh. That glories in the flesh. Everybody wants to be a superstar. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody wants to be a this and a, and a that. It glories in the flesh. And it's no different in most churches. I'm not saying we're exempt from it. I'm just saying that the church is certainly not exempt from it either. Or people in the name of the Lord trying to make a show in the flesh. But God's choice of weapons in this age when everybody's me, 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 and look at me, and how many likes can I get? And how many followers can I get? And so forth. God's choice seems to be foolishness. Amen? Foolishness personified. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The foolishness of God. Not the wisdom of God. Certainly that's wiser than men. But the foolishness of God, what's quote foolishness with the Lord, is wiser than men. Men professing themselves to become wise become fools. That's men apart from the Lord, apart from the 
the leading of the Holy Spirit. God has chosen the, chosen the foolish things of this world to, uh, to bring to naught the things, and bring to shame. That means to bring to nothing the things that are mighty. Again, who would have thought that a shepherd boy with no armor on had never fought a battle against another person in military battle with a sling and a stone would go out against this giant with an arm bearer before building a body, you know, bearing a basically a body-sized shield before him who would kill probably thousands of people. It's foolishness. What are you doing? It's foolishness. But the giant came down, boom, like a big redwood tree. He fell, and David chopped his head off with his own sword. God has chosen it to be that way, that no flesh would glory in His presence. He's chosen things that are despised. And in the church is despised. I know that I've shared this before. I think that in the, in the days of the Roman Empire, there was the first race, the second race, and I think the third race. The first race was the Roman citizens. Okay, they were, in their minds anyway, above everybody. The second race was the Jews. The third race, which, which was a, the, the subject of ridicule and, and jokes, and we'll, we'll use them for entertainment. They're not even people. They're so idiotic. They're so otherworldly. They're so backwards. We're going to throw them to lions and watch them eat them. And we'll clap and applaud. It'll be our entertainment before we go eat supper. We'll set them on fire in, in our front yards like Nero did. Uh, tie them up in, in his garden and set them on fire. The third race, God has chosen that to, to bring to nothing the things that are mighty, seemingly mighty, in this world. He's chosen it to be that, that way. And there was a minister named Charles Fox, and he on this passage that we read from 1 Corinthians, he says, he, he says, this is God's five-ranked army of decrease in human weakness. Here's the way he ranks it in that passage we read. And he just breaks it down. You know, foolish, weak, base, despise, nothing. Okay? He says, this army of the Lord is foolish. Just foolish enough to depend on God for wisdom, though. It's foolish in the world's eyes, but foolish enough to depend on God for wisdom. This army of the Lord, like the early church, is weak, but weak enough to be empowered with His strength. Amen? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This army of the Lord that's nothing in the world's eyes is base. It's the lowest of low. But it's base enough to have no honor but God's honor. I like that. Base enough to have no honor of ourselves. Only honor we have, if there's anything, is the glory of the cross. It's the glory of the Lord Jesus. Despised. But despised enough to be kept in the dust at His feet. In other words, we're despised enough to humble ourselves before the Lord. And not to raise ourselves up in any way. Not to, not to try to usurp anything. Not to, to heap anything upon ourselves other than the contempt of Christ for the glory of God. This five-ranked uh, five army is nothing but nothing enough for God to be everything. Amen? Nothing enough for God to be everything. And it is. this is where the cross comes into play. 
And a lot of times it just it's salvation messages, and we have to have salvation messages so people give their life to Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus with no input on ourselves other than true faith and repentance and belief okay, in the Lord. But once we have been saved, once we're begotten of God, begotten of the living Word of God, then we're His. We belong to Him. And there's a whole lot that He needs to do in all of our lives to make us like Jesus. And that is His end goal in this life is to conform us to the image of His Son. So whatever is necessary to do that, that's what God's going to do. And however slow a learner we are, that's how, that's how long we'll be on the potter's wheel turning around. You know what I'm saying? That's how long we'll be there. We haven't gotten out of kindergarten yet. So guess what? You'll stay in kindergarten until you're 85. And so will I if we don't learn what He's teaching us. You won't bypass it. We're going to stay right there. And what He's, he's chosen is for uh, yielding Yielding, yielding, yielding. The Holy Ghost says this. The Word of God says this. The conviction of the Lord says this. But my flesh sure wants to do this. Well, who's going to win out? You can be a child of God and still fight against God. You can be truly born again and still fight against the Lord, at least in this area and that area, and fight against the Lord. Who's going to win out? You're His child. When you die, you go into heaven. But what about between now and then? How much glory does that bring God if I'm always fighting against God? Who knows what He would do with our lives if we would yield to Him? We th again, we think it's some insignificant thing. It's just the music I listen to. It's not that big a deal. God says it's more than music. It's a question of lordship. It's a question of yielding to me. I've told you that, that, that brings you to a bad place. It doesn't edify me. It doesn't help build you up. It takes your mind and thoughts off of me and puts them far away somewhere else. I want you to give me that music that you listen to. This isn't a preacher telling you that. This is the Holy Ghost telling you that. And you say, what does that have to do with this over here? It has everything to do with that over there. It has a question of, it's a question of His Lordship. And this is where the cross comes in. That's why Jesus said, if any man will come after me. Because you don't have to. People don't. People, there's World's filled with people that don't go after Jesus. But if any man will, that's our will, right? We know it's God's will, but He needs my will to cooperate. Then let Him deny Himself, take up His cross, and follow Me. And in every turn, and in every decision, and every new day, and every dawn, and everything God convicts us of, we need to yield it to the Lord. The sooner the better. Do we all do that perfectly? Do I do it perfectly? Not at all. But that's where we're what we're striving for. We're striving for the mastery. Amen? We're striving for, by the grace of God and by the working of His Spirit, striving to be that way. Not to be perfect in the sense, but to be perfectly yielded. If I'm perfectly yielded, then God can make me perfect, so to speak, and mature in Christ. But we have to be yielded to the Lord in all of these things. And so uh, God has just turned us over to, to the cross. That's what He desires. That's what He wants. That nobody should glory in His presence. It's only the Lord. And so there's, this is really like the portion for God's people. This is like our lot. Again, it's not depressing, but this is, there's a new brand of Christianity 
And I don't think it's really new. It might be more popular. New brand of Christianity that's not Christian at all. It's not biblical at all that God just came to bless us. And that's it. Bless us in the sense of everything we want. We just, now that we're a Christian and we've tapped into God, we just get everything we want. Well, name me one person who gets everything they want. Even the people that preach that doctrine and that gospel, they don't get what they want. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a sham. But it's a new brand of Christianity where it's a, it's a, Dave Hunt used to say, it's a Christianity and a Christ without a cross. It's a gospel without a cross. There has to be the cross. There has to be the cross first and foremost and always and, and, uh, and only. There has to be a cross foundational. If we're crucified with Christ, then we're going to reign with Him. We're going we're to uh, also live with Him. But we're, we're these poor people, so to speak, but yet we're not really. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, mighty not many noble are called. And God takes these people that He has saved, things too insignificant for, for the world, even just the contempt of the world, and He cho- chooses to use us. He chooses to use us. I would say we need to be careful not to despise like the world does. In other words, say, well, I'm just a little nothing. I'm a little insignificant, whatever. Can't sing good, can't talk good, can't whatever. We just have this little church here. and it's, We ought not despise that. We ought to just seek to be in God's will and be dead to ourselves and see what God will do. He used the shepherd boy. He used uh, so many different people that that would be just totally unnoticeable. If we didn't have it written in the Bible, history wouldn't record it. The stories that are just too many to, to name. But don't despise that, you know, because the Lord, even David's brothers, when he was young, when he went to the battlefront to check out what was going on, his dad says, go check on your brothers. They're at the battlefront. Bring them a little food. And that's when Goliath comes out and makes a challenge once again to the, to the Hebrews. And uh, David's like, wow, do you see what's going on here? And they're angry at him. And, and they said, We're, who's watching those few little sheep that you normally watch? He was just nothing to them. He was of no significance. And yet God was training him even then, even before then, to be the shepherd of his people Israel. He made, it's amazing, he made an eternal covenant with David that's still in place today for the nation of Israel and for the, the Savior of Israel and the world to, to sit on that throne of David forever. And so it, it's uh, despised by the world. We're despised by the world. But if you will yield your nothingness and my nothingness to the Lord, I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I sound. I don't have that many friends. Nobody really notices me when I walk in a room. Whatever it may be, on and on and on. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves. Just let God use you. Just yield to Him. Get alone with God and find out what He wants to do in your life. Is there anything in my life, Lord, that's hindering you from using me the way you desire to? Now, He doesn't show us all at once. We couldn't handle it. But there are some things. He says, yeah, right here, that music I was dealing with you about. 
You know, yeah, right here, you're, you're lazy, you're prayerlessness, you never get up to pray. I want, you know, I've got wonderful things for you if you'd start waking up in the mornings and seeking my face. Whatever it may be, if we take that nothingness and yield it to the Lord, and, and then nothing is impossible. This isn't, this isn't a, a hyper-faith message. This isn't a name and claim it message. This is a biblical message. Yield to God. Yield to the Lord. Uh, and I was just beginning to think about the different accounts in the Bible. And, and you can think of 30 others. Okay, but just a few that I jotted down. God's mightiest acts arising from the most seemingly insignificant people or, or things even. Lice, locusts, flies, frogs were used by the Lord to topple or, or bring pretty much to, to its knees this nation of Egypt, which was the world power at the time. Lice, locusts, flies, frogs, and we can name a few others, were used by the Lord to bring that nation to its knees. There was a little maid who had been Hebrew that had been taken captive in a fight with the Syrians, and it was her that said, uh, it was she that said that, uh, I wish my master could get to that prophet over there in Samaria. He would, he would be used by God to heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman, little maid that's washing feet, washing clothes, you know, getting supper ready in the house, a slave. And God used her to point Naaman to Elisha where he was healed of his leprosy. There was a lad, as we mentioned, with a sling and a stone brought salvation to his people. There was a cloud no larger than a man's hand that brought an abundance of rain to descend in Israel after three and a half years of drought. There was Jericho's walls that came down from the sounds of trumpets and shouts of faith. No rocks, stones, no cannons, no bulldozers. Okay? They shouted to God and blew their trumpets and the walls came down. God chose it to be that way. Who can glory? Who, what, what, which one of the trumpet players could glory in that? And said, man, I hit just the right note. It got a frequency. It went through that wall and the whole thing crumbled. No, it's of God. Okay? Uh, God incarnate came as a little babe. And, and there in that little tiny baby, probably in a natural sense, no different than any other little baby, born out there with the animals of all places. Uh, and there is God incarnate all wrapped up in that little baby. It really, it really is amazing. And that's the power of God. One lad who had five loaves and two fish feeds a multitude. Gideon's 300 armed with trumpets and lamps and pitchers. They overcome the vast army of the Midianites. That no flesh should glory in His presence. So for no flesh to glory in His presence, we need to be dead to ourselves. In order to be dead to ourselves, we need to yield to God. That's the picture. We're not physically nailing ourselves to a cross. We, it's the picture of dying. Dying. The cross is a very effective instrument. Nobody ever came down off of it alive. Jesus was raised from the dead, but nobody came off the cross because it didn't work properly. Look at Philippians chapter 3 real quickly. 
Philippians 3, 3 and 4. Paul says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And then he goes on to give his lineage, his stock, his training, his education, um, his touching the law, uh, you know, a Pharisee and so forth, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And he, I don't think he was blowing smoke. I mean, he, he really... This was his upbringing. This was his life. I think he was very zealous for the wrong way. He was very zealous for what at the time he thought was the right way. But he says, if anybody could boast in the flesh, it would be me. Let me tell you about myself. Let me tell you. And he's not boasting. Because he goes on to say, verse 7, but those things which were things were gain." To me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. But he doesn't consider himself just as poor sufferer. He talks about joy unspeakable and and full of glory and oh, the riches and the depth and the wisdom of of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord. I count it. He says, I count those things but dung that I may win Christ. One thing, just Christ, just Jesus, dead to everything else. I'm not there yet. I don't think any of us are there. And I can't say Paul was perfectly there, but it was a reality. It was an ongoing, genuine work of the Lord. It's not just a Bible verse. It's a real man that was really saved and he really learned to walk with the Lord and God really used him in a great way. And right up probably till he breathed his last breath in Rome before he was martyred for the Lord, I bet he was still learning. He was still growing. His faith was growing. He was still trusting. He was still dying more to himself. He still, it was at the end of his life, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. It was at the end of his life. Man, we'd have thought, you, next to Jesus, you're the biggest saint I've ever seen. And he said of himself, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm worse than the people I'm preaching to. I'm worse than the ones that arrested me. I'm worse. And if we really see ourselves, that's a glorious. It's not depressing because God helps us. You know what it does? It causes us to appreciate, and that's not even a strong enough word, the grace of God that much more. To appreciate the kindness of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of the Lord. Oh God, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You know what I mean? What, what, what am I that you even take a second look at me and want to send your perfect, lovely, sinless son to die on a cross for me? That's a good thing when we start seeing like that. Oh, it gets our eyes off of ourselves and puts them on the Lord. Amen? Puts them on the Lord. Instead of all, God doesn't do this for me and I wish God would do it. He did it for this person in the church. He doesn't do it for me. And all these other things... And our eyes need to be on Christ because we all deserve death and hell and separation from the Lord because that's the wages of sin. But God gave us a gift. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I know that I don't agree with everything, certainly about Martin Luther, uh, but God did use him in the way that He did use him. Okay, But I just want to say this. I had a couple of quotes from him. He was one of those broken vessels. Amen. He learned that the might of God was 
in this, as he put it, the word of the cross. And he had a fearless proclamation of the truth. He, he, he testified before men and, and councils and, and popes and everyone else the truth of the gospel. And he was what you would call an insignificant monk, as he explains it. He says, next to my just cause. In other words, my cause was right. So I had that going for me. But he says, next to my just cause, it was my mean reputation and mean aspect which gave the Pope his deadly blow. For the Pope thought, tis but one poor friar. What can he do against me? And when he says mean, he doesn't mean mean like we think of angry. He means mean like base, nothing. So next to my just cause, it was also an advantage, he's saying, or that God used it, let's put it that way, that the Pope overlooked him. The Popes think it's just one little insignificant monk among thousands. He can't touch me. And yet, God used him to help transform some things and bring some, some serious reformation to the church. And so, I'm just going to close with this, y'all, that the appeal from this book to every minister, to every missionary, to every Sunday school teacher, to every witness for Christ, which would include all of us, is that we would come to the cross like fresh and new. We would come to the cross and, and let the Lord do His work through that in our lives. That we would allow the Lord to mortify those things in our lives that are not honoring to Him. We're so afraid. And I've said it many times, and I've been the same way and probably am still in some things, but the, the big things in my life that I can recollect surrendering to the Lord, I was always convinced, even as a Christian, that I can't really live without this. If He's trying to like pry my hands off of something, say, this is not of me. It's holding you back. It's a hindrance to you in your walk with me. And I can't use you the way I want to if you keep hanging on to it. You're still my child. But since you're my child, I'm telling you, let it go. I'll help you. And I was always convinced by my own carnal thinking, and I'm sure the enemy was in there somewhere. I'm sure he was. saying, no, you can't live without. You can't live without those friends. You can't live without that music. And there's all the excuses. That music's not devil rock or anything like that. It's just this little harmless, innocuous stuff you listen to. You're arguing with the Lord. You're not going to win. Who are you trying to convince? You're just like you're by yourself in a room arguing you know, with the Lord. There's nothing wrong with it. And he's saying, yes, there's something wrong with it. And we're telling God, there's nothing wrong with it. And he said, yes, there's something wrong with it. Let it go. Turn it over to me. And whatever it may be that we would let the, the Lord by the cross, by His grace, by the Holy Spirit, sanctify us and work in us. There's so much the Lord wants to give us, impart to us, bestow upon us, and there's too much of self still residing there. It's almost like we fight Him to our own detriment. You know what I mean? He's wanting to bless us with good things, and we're fighting God because we won't yield it over to the Lord. And I, I, this is a silly story. I've shared it before. I don't know if it's true. I, I, I'm going to pretend like it is. It doesn't really matter. But uh, I heard that in South America, 
when people are hunting, you know, the, the people hunt monkeys, whether it's for the zoo or for whatever they hunt a monkey for. I don't, don't ask me uh, why somebody wants a monkey. But uh, they, they, they go to where they know the monkeys are. The monkeys are up in the a, in a top of a tree and they'll find a, a tree with a, maybe a hole in it, like a rotten spot, or maybe they carve a hole in it, I don't know. Monkeys are real curious, they're watching all this go on from the top of the trees, and the hunter, it's just big enough for the monkey to stick his hand, his little paw in there. And they put the, the banana in it, and the monkey's watching this, they take a banana, if it's not true, let's just go with it, okay? They put a banana in there, and then they turn it sideways where he doesn't come out. Then they step back and they, like they're gone, they're way out of the scene. Here comes the monkey after things quiet down and the hunters are gone. Comes down the tree, scurries over to where that he saw that nice banana. He climbs up to that area, sticks his paw in, and he's trying to get the banana out. Here come the hunters. They've made a circle around him. And they're slowly closing in on him. They're going to throw a net over him. And here's this monkey. And as they're getting closer, he starts panicking. Or the monkey starts getting a little more agitated and aggravated and, until he's in a sheer panic. But guess what he won't do? For our story's sake. He won't turn loose. He won't let go of the banana. And so they come. They throw a net over him. And you say... You traded your life for a banana? The jungle's full of them. You know what I mean? There's lots of other things to eat. Uh, you traded your life because you wouldn't turn loose. You could easily outrun them. You could have easily scurried up this tree right here. They'd have never got you. And yet, he won't turn loose of it. And I think it's a good story because I can relate to that. There are things to our own detriment that we won't, won't turn loose of because we're so sure that's the end all of end alls to my joy and satisfaction and purpose in life and my peace. And it's not. Christ is the end all of end all. The Lord is my portion, David said. The Lord is my portion. In His presence is fullness of joy. Peter, Paul, we just read, he, he counted everything as dung that he might have Christ. Well, I already had Christ. I know I have Him. I want to know Him so much more and the power of His resurrection. I want His life to be so much fuller in me. I want my life to bring Him so much more glory. I want to have so much more of the peace and joy and intimacy with the Lord and His power in my life. And God's saying, I want that for you, Paul. That's what I want for you. So whatever it else is, turn loose of the, the stupid banana, Randy, and let God do what He wants to do in our lives. He's not coming to harm us. He's not coming to hurt us. He's coming that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Let's close with this one Scripture. Indeed, you can come. Turn to Galatians 6. You might be able to quote it yourself. This would have been a theme for this whole study on the cross. Galatians 6, 14. Paul says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. It is a working of the cross. Not a wooden cross that we drag around behind us. It's a yieldedness to Christ. It's a yieldedness to everything. And any time where our flesh would try to usurp the authority of God in the littlest thing, it's not a little thing. 
It's a usurping of God Almighty's authority in our lives. Lay it down. The Lord will take it. And guess what? He'll give us the strength. He'll, he'll, he'll be so glad. He'll be so glad and say, why did I, in the world did I hang on to that stupid banana for five years? I should have turned it loose the first day He told me. That's where we're learning and growing. Maybe this time it'll only take four years instead of five. You understand? We're quicker at saying, no, God's faithful. I remember when He did this in my life. I'm going to yield this to the Lord. Amen. Y'all stand with me tonight. Y'all, the altars are open. Dean's just going to play softly. We've had the last couple of Wednesdays. I just really feel a real wonderful uh, a move of the Lord, presence of the Lord, and, and among our own selves, a real uh, calling out to the Lord and yieldedness to the Lord at these altars. I want to just encourage you to, to come and, and meet with the Lord about what He's dealing with you about before you leave tonight. Father, we give ourselves to You tonight. And Father, help us to yield to You in every area. In Jesus' name, Amen.